Blog Talk Radio. Glamour, fearless, Daddy's late night. Whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find me a place in this world or it never belongs, I gotta be me. Charlie's Angels of Outreach, C. 
Susan Weiner and Patricia Addy Gentle, Cornelia and Leola from the Diva Better community on Facebook, and Mama Rosemarie. Throughout the podcast, we're playing selected songs from Columbia Jazz, Ella Fitzgerald, 1973 live album, courtesy of Sony Music. Now, before we begin and continue the celebration, please take a minute to donate to DivaBetic at divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. Our Diva inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald, shot to fame at the age of 21 after recording a playful version of a nursery rhyme, A Tisket, A Tasket. The album went on to sell 1 million copies and hit number one and stayed on the charts for 17 weeks. Let's listen to Ella Fitzgerald, courtesy of Sony Music. A tisket, a tasket, a brown and yellow basket. I send a letter to my mommy on the way I dropped it. I dropped it, I dropped it. Yes, on the way I dropped it. A little girly picked it up and put it in her pocket. All right, welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick. It's time to meet two of my favorite diabetes educators that I finally refer to as the Charlie's Angels of Outreach. They make the diabetes community a much better place because they're so inspiring, encouraging, and motivating. Please welcome Patricia Addy Gentle and Susan Wiener. Hello, Susan. Hello, Matt. And hello, so Patricia. Hi, Matt. Uh, ladies, so glad to have you. It's such an honor to have you be my first two guests of the night and help me um, raise awareness for diabetes education and awareness in a musical way with Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, Susan, in a minute, we're going to be talking about a tisket, a task that makes me think of crackers. So you're going to be helping me talk a little bit about some of the favorite snack foods for people with diabetes. But first, uh, Patricia, I want to talk about Ella Fitzgerald because I know a lot of people who are listening are who have diabetes or might be affected by diabetes or at risk of diabetes are scared of the idea of an amputation but really don't know how that happened. So can you kind of walk us through uh, what might have happened to Ella Fitzgerald so people out there have a better understanding of complications, how they occur, and what they might be able to do to prevent them? Sure. Well, uh, for most people microvascular disease is what we call it and microvascular means the small vessels of the heart so those vessels become uh, damaged due to high blood sugars and with Ella having high blood sugars over a long period of time those vessels kind of become inflamed and they have they, they become diseased and they're unable to support uh, circulation and nutrition to the tissues and so with that um, that can lead to circulatory impairment it can lead to a lack of sufficient blood flow especially in the lower extremities because the heart is so centrally located and is trying to supply the entire body with the blood supply that's needed. So when you combine high blood sugars and usually high cholesterol and other factors that will make the blood a little thicker, stickier, and harder to for the heart to pump throughout the body, then the legs and the feet will get neglected. And with this comes the poor circulation, the ulcers, the impairments that lead to the kinds of things that amputation would be required. 
And I did read that Ella Fitzgerald uh, suffered some vision loss and had circulatory problems in her lifetime with living with type 2 diabetes. So that could have been uh, that what you're saying kind of goes along with that story as well. Yes, it does. Microvascular disease um, not only is of the heart and those lower extremity vessels, but also the vessels of the eye and the vessels of the kidney are affected, as well as the nerves. So what we call neuropathy, uh, the kidney uh, problems would be nephropathy, and retinopathy of the eye are all uh, directly correlated to microvascular disease. All right, now she probably, uh, I'm going to allegedly say that she was probably diagnosed with diabetes maybe in the 50s or 60s, and so I'm sure there's a lot has changed in that time, right, especially not only how we're taking care of ourselves with our diabetes. I mean, meters weren't, home meter use wasn't really, didn't start until the 80s, but I mean, so much has changed in insulin therapies and and management. Um, I'm sure that's probably making it a little bit easier for people to help prevent a complication, right? That is quite true. I would speculate that you are probably uh, right on track. Uh, Diabetes management has changed tremendously over the years, and I always tell people that if you're going to have diabetes, I suppose now is the best time because we have advanced so much in our technology and in the way that it is treated. When you stop and think about the diagnosis even, we have changed the numbers that we use as a criteria for diagnosis. So chances are Ella had diabetes way before she was diagnosed. And so uh, the high blood sugars could have already done damage to her vessels by the time she reached the diagnosis. Then once the diagnosis was there, the treatment today is quite different from the way she would have been treated uh, before. We even um, try to aim at early detection and treat for pre-diabetes nowadays when pre-diabetes was unheard of back during Ella's day. Well, you know, and tonight I really wanted to spotlight people living with complications because I feel like uh, there's a lot of judgment going on. There's a lot of shame and blame associated with having a complication, and then I feel the people with the complications are led to feel guilty, and even their friends and family don't kind of rally around them so much with support as more with pointing fingers. I'm curious to know, you're from Atlanta, Georgia. You have a, you work with a large patient base. Am I on target with any of this, or do you feel like people uh, – how, how do you feel people with complications – do with trying to uplift, keep their spirits uplifted and move into a healthier way of life. Um, yes, you are on target with that. Um, so many times, not only uh, does the patient have to contend with negative innuendos from family members or friends, but also from the healthcare professionals. Uh, so many times when they go for appointments, they are bashed and, you know, it's like if you don't get better control or if you don't do this or the other, then we're going to have to be drastic with your treatment measures. We're, And that's why a lot of people fear uh, going to insulin. And there is still that old myth out there that once you're on insulin, it means your diabetes is just terrible. It's much worse than a person who takes pills, and that is so not true. Um, anybody who has diabetes needs um, good treatment, good management, and keep those blood sugars under, um, 
you know, within the parameters that they should be to prevent the complications. But so many times our uh, patient base is hearing all types of negative kinds of things that makes them resist and more resistant to treatment. They hear people uh, bash them about certain foods and how much they should eat or what they should not eat at all. And so, yes, um, we have to change our mindset and the way that we speak to people and approach them concerning their diabetes. And it is not a blame game. It's the kind of thing that we have to embrace encompass and try to provide uh, loving care and understanding uh, in, in a good way, a loving type way. Absolutely. And I know, Susan Weiner, you've been traveling around the country. You just got back from Kentucky. Um, how do you feel about this? Because we are celebrating people with complications tonight for getting back in the swing of things. It takes a lot more time and effort to even go out to an outreach event. You know, getting there, the transportation, staying there, how do you get back? I mean, it, it is. there are so many people with complications in our community, and yet sometimes I feel like we're just, we're not fully embracing them. I totally agree, and Patricia just really hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of issues between communication with healthcare providers, including CDEs and physicians, PAs, nurse practitioners, and people with diabetes. Many times people with diabetes will go to a provider office who may have complications because they were, for, for whatever reason, but they feel like they're being judged. From a provider standpoint, it's very important to embrace the person when they come in the office, be in a no-judgment zone, and also ask open-ended questions. Not yes or no questions, but open-ended. We have to refrain from also um, giving too much information at once. It's much better to listen. If the person comes in, and you, because you may want to impart some education to them, but if they have something else on their mind that's more pressing and you listen to what their concern is, you are more likely to help them make a change. But just giving education and information does not work with somebody who is having who has a complication and may be overwhelmed with everything in their life and everything that's going on. Um, I also think that as providers, we have to realize that many people who have diabetes and other related comorbidities and complications may have some issues with health literacy and health numeracy. They may not understand every single thing that we're telling them, although they nod yes. It's not a matter of, of not being smart or not getting the concept. It's the first time they're hearing it, they're overwhelmed, and it might be a lot of information to process. I agree. I mean, I feel that this, is a, this community is overlooked and that we, we just need to be thinking of how to educate and empower them on their level because I, I just know from working with Luther how much is involved in just the day-to-day -day activity and the idea of someone really kind of taking it on and moving forward and purposefully just I feel takes a lot more energy and effort than anyone could realize and I applaud people who come to our Divabetic outreach events who tune into this show and try to are making an effort to change things in their life so they could have a higher quality of life that's what it's all about and those people are a part of our community it's not about what type you are or what type you're not it's just about the idea that we're all in this together and there's places to go because the number one thing I always hear at every event I've ever attended or helped present 
is people don't feel alone. And I would hate for someone who experienced a complication from blindness and and vision loss to kidney failure or amputation to feel like no one could no one could really identify with them. No one's really there who understands what they're going through. So I, I want I'm th- thank you guys for being on the show tonight because I really want to talk about this topic tonight. And and you were the ones I wanted to lead it off. Now, um, Susan, I want to get back on track for a minute because I just played Tisket Atasca, and I, when I hear the song, I always think of Triscuits. And, you know, when I go to the snack aisle, you're a registered dietitian. Um, I go to the snack aisle. I'm not quite sure what to get because there's low-fat baked, you know, zero trans fats, um, no added sugar. I mean, the labels are kind of confusing. Specifically, Triscuits, there's like 50 different kinds of Triscuits today at my grocery store. How, do you, how does someone navigate that who wants to stay healthy? It's so true. Did you know that in a typical supermarket, there's about 45,000 different items? I'm not sure that anybody needs that many choices when they're going food shopping. Taking a step back, a really good idea would be to go food shopping with a shopping list so that you're not overwhelmed and you're not looking at these things and, and picking up something as a last-minute purchase that you might snack on that you didn't plan on snacking on. So go with a list and maybe online before you go to the grocery store with your list, look at the different choices of the crackers that you're going to choose. The most important thing to look at, I believe, is the serving size of how many crackers are in there and then look at the other nutrition information because crackers can be different and they are different shapes and different sizes as well so you may get more bang for your buck with certain crackers and other ones we also want to definitely look at the total amount of carbohydrates to make sure that that's within your carbohydrate budget calories and sodium sodium should be less than 200 milligrams per serving Um, Another little tidbit on picking your crackers, make sure that you never eat them out of the box. Don't eat anything out of a container unless it's a big bowl of vegetables. But try not to eat them out of the container. Count out your serving size, and a great little trick is to put them on a napkin or a small little appetizer-sized plate and enjoy them. And also with crackers, I always tell people, Keep a side of vegetables with them because if you cut up some different color vegetables like red peppers and green cucumbers and white cauliflower, you'll enjoy some healthy, nutritious vegetables along with some of the crackers. And also make sure that you watch for the dips. Watch out for the dips that you may have with them as well because that's going to pack on a lot of calories, carbs, and excess fat. Great advice. I really appreciate it. All right. So you're both going to stick around because we've got some games coming up. And later on, Susan, you're going to tell me a little bit about the prevalence of misdiagnosis of type 1 diabetes and what we could all do to help someone save someone's life by knowing more about these complications. But right now, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this podcast, we're so excited to have you tonight. Our diva inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald, was dubbed the first lady of song. She won 13 Grammy Awards and sold over 40 million albums. Wow. Let's listen to Ella Fitzgerald's live version of You Turn the Tables on Me, courtesy of Sony Music. You turn the 
tell you, in all the albums I've played, ladies and gentlemen, this is one of my favorite. If you want to go get a great album, get the Columbia Jazz Ella Fitzgerald 1973 live album. I can't stop playing it. And you're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. I love to celebrate National Diabetes Awareness Month with music and also some amazing guests, including um, some little-known advocates who do a lot to help a lot of people, which we've got one right now. My next guest is a national and U.S. Today best-selling author of the sweet and sexy pulse-pounding romance. But she also helped best-selling author Brenda Novak, who has been on the show before, build her phenomenal online diabetes auction and raise millions of dollars for diabetes research. Please welcome author Anna J. Stewart. Hi, Anna. Hi, it's so great to be with you. You're calling in from San Francisco, are you not? Uh, close, Sacramento. All right. About 80 well, miles to north. the show, West Coast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm so thrilled to have you here because we have had Brenda on the show several times, and we've talked about her online auction. And when I reached out to her because we're going to talk about a special project you've been working with uh, with her on called All I Want for Christmas, she told me about you and how you've helped her out on her auction. So a lot of our listeners aren't familiar with Brenda Novak and her online auction. Tell everyone a little bit about that. Well, um, she did it for 10 years. I worked with her for seven of those years. And it was um, her way of um, fighting back. Uh, her son was diagnosed at the age of five, uh, type 1 diabetes, and she was not content to just sit back and let the doctors tell her what had to be done. She was going to do it herself. And I think you can you've, – you've talked to Brenda, so you know pretty much what she puts her mind to, she will make happen. So she um, put out the call to a lot of um, romance authors, publishers, editors, uh, agents, anybody she could think of within the romance industry specifically, um, also within the writing industry, which she branched out more into later, and developed an online auction where readers as well as writers could bid on various um, books, uh, signed books, uh, gift packets that authors put together, um, uh, for writers, it was uh, fast turnaround reads. Um, you know, when you're trying to get something sold to New York, it can usually take anywhere from three to six months to hear back on something you submit. Brenda was able to get authors or editors and agents to donate 48-hour, 24-hour turnaround times. So with that, she was able to raise a lot of money in, two, in 10 years, and I believe we hit the $2.5 million mark. Well, congratulations on that. That is amazing. Hold on, our studio audience wants to respond. And now it's kind of she's kind of transformed it where she's doing these digital box sets that are available, and they all raise money for a cure for diabetes, and now you're a part of that. So tell everyone what's happening this holiday season and what a great opportunity they have to help raise money for a cure. Well, this year, like you said, Brenda kind of changed tactics a little. She, she's always looking for the new way to get people's attention. So she put out the call to some of the best-selling names in uh, romance that include Debbie Maycomer, Bella Andre, Violet Duke, uh, Jane Porter, Rayanne Thane, um, 14, I believe it's 15 authors altogether. And they have each, and actually she invited me to participate too, which was totally awesome because I can't believe I'm included with these amazing authors who I've looked up to for so long. 
But they've each donated um, a story of theirs into a box set. Um, none of the authors participating is taking a penny from this. Um, every single penny that Brenda raises goes to research. She does not take anything for herself. Um, in fact, um, she covers quite a bit of the cost herself. Um, and it's $7.99 for 14 uh, Christmas stories. Some are um, older ones. Um, quite a few of them are brand new. Um, so there's a little something for everybody. And um, it's just a way to uh, get readers and authors joining forces, which Brenda has been able to do for a number of years, and, and really make an impact as far as raising money for research. And that's where every penny goes. It goes directly to research. I hope people get it. And you wrote Gingerbread Dreams, and I was reading the blogs. A lot of people weren't familiar with you, but they love this story. So tell us a little bit about Gingerbread Dreams, because I know people are going to want to go buy this uh, digital box set after they hear this podcast. Oh, I hope so. Um, Gingerbread Dreams was, was a fun story to write. It was an unexpected story to write. When I originally agreed to do the do the box set, I assumed I could use one of recycle one of my old stories that I had published maybe with Harlequin, only to find out I couldn't do that. I needed to submit something original. Um, so I had this image in my head of a young woman who's a gingerbread artist. I love watching people do gingerbread houses on online. And uh, she travels around the country doing custom gingerbread houses for people, and she lives in a trailer that looks like a gingerbread house. And, of course, I write romance, so she ends up crashing into the fence of a uh, landowner up in northern California foothills right before a snowstorm, and the fun ensues. He's a carpenter. He's um, taking care of his uh, six nieces and nephews and an aging grandfather, and Essie and he looks Hamish like you, Jackman. Hey, you know what? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of my They're heroes never look like ugly. You, I mean, no one ever meets someone like that who does it, who looks like Jonathan Winters. I'm sorry, but when you read, you know. <laughs> Very true, and that's why we call it fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, it was. It, once I had the image of the crashed gingerbread house, I, I knew it was going to be a fun story to write, and because I knew it was going for a really, really good cause, because this is the only place this story is going to be available is in this box set. Um, it, it really pushed me to make it as good as I possibly could. I love it. It's so great. Now, I know you, you, um, you've got your own co contemporary romance um, series going on, the Tremaine Family Romances. Is that right? It's like a contemporary yes. ro Tell us a little bit about that and, then, and how you weave digital cookbooks and recipes of your characters into some of these things. Because I also know well, you've got some cookbooks too, right? Um, I, yeah, I did. Actually, I did do a couple. Wow, you looked at my website. That's awesome. Um, the Tremaine series uh, I wrote for Berkeley uh, beginning in 2014, I think. The trilogy is complete, and it's a little different. I'm, I, my books tend to be a little difficult to pigeonhole. I write contemporary romance, but there's always something a little extra. And this particular series has a... Um, a Robin Hood type character who robs from the rich to help the less fortunate. Um, something I happen to be a rather big fan of, not necessarily illegalities, but um, I'm always out for, uh, you know, anything we can do to make people's lives better. So um, the first book was actually supposed to be a one-off, but at the end of it, I realized who the actual cat burglar was and realized, oh, this is going to take a couple more books to wrap up. So um, it has a little bit of romantic suspense in it, a little bit of mystery, 
Um, it's very family-oriented. In fact, in the first book, Asking for Trouble, uh, one of the foster kids is a teenager who's just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I actually modeled the character after Brenda's son, and this was before I worked for her. So it's funny how things come full circle. You're going to send me that book, so I'll blog about that, because I love to uh, celebrate characters living with diabetes in the movies and in books. So please send that to me. That's so great. I, I will make a note of that right now. So um, part of one of the incentives I tried to do for um, getting the word out there, because, you know, when you're starting off as an author, especially in a, in a field as large as contemporary romance, it's really hard to get noticed. So um, I was fortunate enough to uh, gather a group of people who have been helping me come up through it, reading my stuff and reviewing for me and helping me figure out stories. And they, um, so I call them my street team. They're called uh, Anna J's Butterfly Babes. And they each contributed three to four different recipes for a digital cookbook that I put together to give away for those people who bought all three of the Tremaine books. So, um, and I asked them to contribute recipes that they think these particular families would use in their lives. I have a subplot of uh, one of the heroes comes from a very large Italian family. So we have lots of recipes in there that have, you know, probably not real great diabetic-friendly recipes, but um, comfort food and family food, because my books are always, no matter what I'm writing, they're all about family and friends and community. I love that. I'm sure Susan Weiner would say it's all about portions. Nothing's all absolutely yes. So I'm I'm Italian, so I I portion it out. But sometimes my portions get a little out of control. Now yeah. <laughs> you know it's National Diabetes Awareness Month. I love to raise awareness for diabetes. I also love to say don't let diabetes kill romance and talk about sexual health issues related to diabetes. We're getting back into the swing of things with inspiration from Ella Fitzgerald. You're going to share some, ta some tips right now about how to turn up the romance in your holidays. Sure. Um, I, think, I think most of all I think it's about not stressing yourself out. I think so many people focus on what they have to do, where they have to go, who they have to see. Oh, God, did I get everything on my list? And I, I think it's a time for people where they should really just pull back and focus on the people around them. And um, from the romance area, you know, just, just take a night and turn everything off except for the Christmas. If you decorate for Christmas, I happen to look like Hallmark threw up in my house at the holidays. So, um Turn everything off except for all of the Christmas lights or just light some candles around and just sit down in the quiet and enjoy each other's company. Um, we're also busy running around during the holidays that I, I think we forget to look at the people who are closest to us. And then before you know it, the holiday season's over and you haven't really taken a chance to enjoy it. So, um, And you never know what that may lead to, one of those very special romantic evenings. Well, I love that you're kind of pushing the idea of the conversation and spending some really nice time together. I mean, I, I think that is, you know, the best part of the love stories in these contemporary romances is the idea of the men and the women getting together. You know, I mean, their their relationship yeah. that's both um, not just sexual and emotional, but also mental and how they interact and their common interests and things like that. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason romance still gets a little bit of a bad rap because, you know, I write across the what we call the steam factor. I write very, very sweet romances that have very little to no sexual interaction at all. There are a few kisses here and there, but it's really focused on the emotional journeys that the characters go through to find their way to one another. And I write those for the Harlequin heartwarming line. 
And then I write, you know, steamier stuff that has, you know, a little bit of sex, because a little bit of sex never hurt anybody. Um, but there are also a lot of readers out there who don't want, you know, a lot of sex in their books. They want something a little bit more sweet. So most romance authors tend to write um, for their audience. Fortunately, I I've, think I've kind of been able to find a niche that, depending on the heat level that you do like in your romances, whether it's, you know, very, very sweet or very, very hot. Well, I wouldn't say I write very, very hot. You have to talk to Lauren Hawkeye about that. Um, <laughs> We've had her um, on the show. We know. Yes, I know. And <laughs> she's great. I cannot write what she writes. I just can't do it. She's great at it. But um, I tend to aim toward the sweeter side of things. So, um, yes, I think intimacy starts between the ears first. I love it. You're sensational. We have to have you back. Thank you so much for working with um, Brenda Novak all these years and helping her hit that $2.5 million um, amount of money for raising money for the Diabetes Research Fund to find a cure for type 1 diabetes. Tell everyone again how they could get their hands on uh, All I Want for Christmas, the digital box set. Okay, so the box set is available pretty much on every e-platform. Unfortunately, we couldn't do it in print, um, only because the book would be huge. Seriously, it would be like a phone book. So um, if you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, uh, Kobo, any kind of e-reader that you have, you'll be able to find All I Want for Christmas on wherever you buy your books. Currently, it's priced at $7.99. Now, that's a discounted price. I'm not sure when that's going to go away. Um, pretty soon, it's going to go up to $9.99. So for less than $10 and knowing that the money you give will go to research, you will get 14 contemporary romances from some of the big, biggest names in the romance industry. Including Anna J. Stewart. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on tonight's show, Anna. Hey, in, in November, on November 21st, 1934, our Diva Inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald made her first stage performance at Amateur Night at the Apollo Theater in Harlem. She sang Hoagie Carmichael's Judy, one of her mother's favorite songs. Well, let's take a listen to another song, Smooth Sailing, uh, by Ella Fitzgerald, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and here's going to be a new guest to help me with some smooth sailing if you're living with type 2 diabetes. Listen, healthcare providers are faced with the enormous numbers of patients and visits due to the increase of diabetes prevalence in the country. As the world is changing, traditional healthcare services are relying on a new era of technology and the Internet to help patients seek, meet, and interact with a community of people just like them. One of these communities is Diabetes What to Know, and here to tell us more about it is the founder and CEO, Ansley Dalbo. Hello, Ansley. Hi, Max. How are you? I've, I've watched some of your videos. I'm kind of starstruck. I'm great. Thank you for joining us tonight for National Diabetes Awareness Month. That's very funny because I feel the same way. I love your podcast, and it's an honor to be included on it. Well, we love Cindy Lou, and Cindy Lou is now part of your community. 
Uh, our yeah. listeners know Cindy Lou. She's been on the show several times. She might even pop in later on tonight. But um, oh, I she, she, she reached out to me to tell me about Diabetes, What to Know. I wanted to hear more and tell our listeners about what a great new resource you're providing for them. So give us a little bit of the background of Diabetes, What to Know, and, and then I have a bunch of questions for you. <laughs> oh, great. Okay, well, I'll try to keep this short then, and then we can take it where you want to go. So um, I've worked in the diabetes field for about 13 years. I'm not a healthcare professional, uh, but for 12 of those years, I worked with Walmart on their private label diabetes brand, which is called Relyon. And I really wasn't familiar with diabetes before that experience. And, you know, in the process of working with Walmart and their pharmacists, I got to know a lot of customers with diabetes. And our goal was just to try to make the brand as useful and helpful for people as we possibly could. And I think we, ha- we did a good job with that on the product front. Uh, But it struck me, all the conversations that I'd have with people who were really looking for good information, and they didn't really know where to find it online. They just felt overwhelmed by all that was out there and that it wasn't in a really user-friendly format. So about three years ago, my husband and I decided to create a web resource for people um, that were looking for more information. And our goal was to make education uh, very simple, engaging, and um, convenient for people. So we really focused on creating short videos um, that would tell people what they needed to know and really focus on actionable information. So not telling you how your pancreas works and getting into all the complexity at the beginning, but you know, focusing on how important exercise is and why it's great for your body and just simple things that you could do um, that would really lower your chance of complications and help you live a long, healthy life. So that started us down a, um, a really interesting journey. And, you know, you mentioned the videos, and I was kind of our reluctant spokesperson. <laughs> we wanted to have uh, people with type 2 deliver the content, and we wanted healthcare professionals. But our budgets were so limited, and we would kind of shoot in nooks and crannies of different places. And I was really the only person who was willing to take all the time that was necessary to film. And so you know, my husband and I just kind of did it ourselves. He ran the camera and did the sound, and then we'd edit the videos together, and it's just been a great learning process for both of us. So I'll take well, a deep I breath. Really <laughs> what I saw is you're not just showing – I mean, you're showing that side of the education, and I, I really do love the bite-sized educational moments, and I want to talk about that a little bit later. But the other side is there are several videos by people living with type 2 diabetes who are expressing those feelings of what you said earlier, the overwhelm, the frustration, the uh, discouragement, and the anger, you know, which are emotions that we have uh, talked about on this podcast, but I just don't think they get enough, um, uh, enough, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Headlines. Attention. I don't think they get enough uh, awareness to it. So I appreciate that. I'm kind of curious what led you to showcase that? Because a lot of those videos don't really end up with a happy ending. It's just someone really kind of telling their side of what they think about living with type 2 diabetes. Well, you know, our main goal with those videos is was that someone who was newly diagnosed um, wouldn't feel so alone, that they would know that people had been through the same journey and gone through the same emotions that they are currently going through. And in order to really do that, we felt strongly that we needed to show kind of all the emotions on the spectrum because, you know, you don't want someone to, to feel angry and feel like that, you know, to feel shame then about that or feel like that they're bad or that they're doing it wrong. But really every feeling we have, you know, needs to be recognized as, you know, 
valuable and good information and, you know, needs to be processed. So our, our goal really is to show as many different types of people with type 2 um, and all the different issues that they're both struggling with and also succeeding with. And so when people come to Diabetes What, uh, what to Know, you, could, you kind of make a video portfolio, right? You encourage them to watch several videos at once, and then they could go on to your um, Facebook page and other parts of the website to kind of begin to interact with peers. Exactly. So one of the things that we really encourage um, people who are looking for information to do is to sign up for our email program. It's free, and you get a, one email a week for six weeks. And we really try to cover the main topics that someone would want to know with diabetes. So, you know, how to check in pairs, what to eat, why exercise is important, the numbers that you should be tracking with your physician. So our goal is that when you finish that program, you'll have kind of a good foundation of information, and you'll feel a little more informed and hopefully not so overwhelmed. Um, and at any point along that email journey, we, would, you know, we encourage people to join the Facebook community because I can tell you, you know, what is happening in the group is just amazing. And Cindy is such a huge part of that. But there's so many people in that group who are so encouraging to one another, so helpful to one another. And I think that support is just invaluable for, you know, helping people succeed over the long term. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm continually blown away both by just the kindness and, and support that people show one another. And also, you know, all the positive things that are happening. It's like, you know, one person, is expressing, you know, discouragement over numbers, and then, you know, the next few days they're like, okay, thank you for the help, and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing progress, I'm seeing positive things. So that's been just amazing to watch. Yeah, we, we had the opportunity to talk with Carlos from the Diabetes What to Know community um, last week on our game show podcast, and he's a retired policeman, and he really talked a little bit about the frustration of changing the foods, and but he's been able to do it thanks to encouragement Again, like you said, from your website as well as incredible people like Cindy Lou. I know she's mm -hmm. listening, and I just think she's so authentic and so friendly oh my and gosh. really honest with people about her journey and how difficult it was at the beginning and where she's, come, where she's come to and that they could do it too. And I applaud her for doing that during National Diabetes Awareness Month because uh, that's the kind of thing that really makes a change in people. Now, Hansley, you mentioned something that I loved on your website, which was checking in pairs. So I want to give you a moment to collect yourself and just present the tip like you do online because you do such a great uh, job, and I want to share with the Diabetes Late Night community. I, I thought this was a wonderful tip that everyone should um, take a sheet of paper and write it down as Ansley, uh, the camera's on you. You've got the white background. <laughs> I'll do my best. So, you know, one of the most important ways you can use your meter to learn is by checking in pairs. So checking your blood sugar before and then after something. And usually what people use that for is to see what impact a food or meal has on your blood glucose. So, you know, everybody's different. Different foods affect people differently. You know, Cindy likes to say that she can't eat oatmeal. Um, she can eat grits and have no problems. Um, but oatmeal really causes her blood glucose to spike. And, you know, if you are listening to this podcast and wondering, wow, how does she know that? She knows that because she consistently tests her blood glucose and figures out what foods are better for her blood sugar than others. 
So really, you know, people talk about, you know, it's so important to control your diabetes and you're the one who has the power to do that. And the way you can do it is with your blood glucose meter. And if you take two weeks and test before and after several meals each day and write down what you ate and write down what the numbers were both before and after the meal, you will have an invaluable guide to your body. It's like an encyclopedia of how your body reacts to different meals. And you can really start making smarter food choices not based on what you hear on TV or what you hear from your friends and neighbors, but rather what your body is telling you about what happens when you eat certain foods. And, you know, we've watched so many people just feel so encouraged and empowered by this because it's like, wow, you know, it's not a mystery anymore. I, you know, I know what's happening in my body. And I know how to eat. And, you know, I know that's like the number one question so many people have. You know, it just feels overwhelming and everything makes my blood sugar go up. But, you know, but by, te- by checking in pairs, you can really figure out what's right for you. You really can. I think that's an incredible tip. I'm so grateful that you were on the show tonight. And tell everyone again the name of the website. I know we said it 15 times, but sometimes. <laughs> sure, it's it's. Diabetes What to Know, uh, and the URL is diabeteswhattoknow.com, all the words spelled out, no number twos. And I just have to give another plug for the community. It's the Diabetes What to Know community on Facebook. Um, Cindy is amazing. Larry, there's so many wonderful people on there who, you know, just are so encouraging and so helpful to other people. Wonderful. Well, thank you for everything you do for National Diabetes Awareness Month. And oh, as Max, we thank you. Now we're celebrating Ella Fitzgerald. Do you know by the 1990s she had recorded over 200 albums? She gave her last concert in 1991 at the New York famous Carnegie Hall for the 26th time. Wow. Let's hear another wow. cut. I know. Isn't that amazing? Let's hear another cut from our <laughs> diva inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedick, and I heard the only way to get to Carnegie Hall is to practice, practice, practice. <laughs> it's time to welcome our special guest, Cornelia, to the show. Hello, Cornelia. Good evening, good evening. How are you tonight? I feel pretty good. I haven't I, and, tested my sugar, but I'm good. <laughs> you, did, you, did, you did or you didn't? I have not. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about that because you've been on the show before and I know everyone loves hearing your experience living with diabetes I have been a diabetic for 42 years Uh, and my doctors tell me I'm in pretty good shape to have had it as long as I have Uh, I feel good the only thing that I see where it's starting to affect me is I'm experiencing some neuropathy in my feet and arthritis in various parts of my body and so how do you uh, manage that with the neuropathy? You know, I really don't. I have a high tolerance for pain, so I just kind of put up with it, tolerate it. Is it a cold, numbing feeling you're experiencing? Uh, not cold or numbness. Like now, the numbness, but not the coldness. Okay. And are, do you have a foot mare or anything like that that you're constantly checking them? No. 
Well, I know that would be that might be something you might want to look into because that's a big part of just uh, you know as you begin to experience neuropathy, and we'll bring in our educators in a minute. Uh, that could really help you keep your feet healthy and happy. <laughs> Because you know you can't you don't feel everything you step on if you're feeling that neuropathy and so there's a chance that you might step on something and you could go a couple of days or even longer without feeling what that was and that could lead to some an infection and it could go progressively from there. But I, it sounds like you're also working with your healthcare provider, which is amazing, and kind of going and and talking about some of the issues you've been dealing with. So tell us a little bit when you were first diagnosed with diabetes, because 42 years, it had to be a totally different disease at that time, and how people perceived <laughs> it. I I literally diagnosed myself when I went to the doctor. I knew it was hereditary. Uh, my mother had it. My grandmother had it. Uh, I've lost two sisters to it. My oldest son has it. So I knew it was a hereditary disease. I had all the common symptoms. I was uh, tired, fatigued beyond tired. I was eating and losing weight, uh, the frequent urination. So I had all the symptoms. So when I went to the doctor, I told them to diagnose me for it, and that's what they did, and I had it. That's interesting because Susan Weiner was just in Kentucky presenting about the idea of raising awareness for the symptoms of type 1 diabetes. Are you living with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes? No, I'm a type 1. You're a type 1. So, you know, Susan is is with us. Susan Weiner, uh, I know you just got back from Kentucky, and this is something you're very passionate about. You just wrote a whole blog about this idea of understanding the symptoms. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. I actually spoke at the Florida State AADE conference a few weeks ago in Pensacola, and just a few days ago, I had the honor of speaking with Tom Carlia, who's also known as Diabetes Dad, on the subject of the misdiagnosis of diabetes, and I title the talk, actually, Diagnosis or Death, because we focused on the problem of symptom unawareness, and so many people are diagnosed when they're already in DKA or diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm. Now, listening to Cornelia, and I have to commend you on this, when you knew what the symptoms were of diabetes, you brought it up to your healthcare provider. Unfortunately, so many people go to, with their young children, and they do go, or adults and of, of people of all ages, can go to see a healthcare provider one, two, three times and still not be commonly diagnosed or appropriately diagnosed with diabetes, Mm. especially during flu season. Stomach flu and and stomach viruses are often confused, although they should not be, with the symptoms of type 1 diabetes. So Mm. if someone has frequent urination, very hungry, weight loss, those common symptoms of diabetes, which when you put them all together, kind of make sense. Once somebody starts throwing up or being very nauseous, vomiting, labored breathing, those are no longer the diagnoses of a stomach flu. Those are the diagnosis of DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, which if left untreated can lead to cerebral brain hemorrhage, coma, and death. So it's a very serious, serious problem. And there were so many on the blog, thank you for bringing that up, Max, on the blog that I wrote today, which is on 
my my well my website Max can give the link to that for sure. There are people all over the diabetes community and the community at large who are sharing all the initiatives about symptom awareness. And this is very important. We in the diabetes community know the symptoms, many of us, of diabetes. It's the community, it's many, it's no one's fault. It's not healthcare providers' fault, maybe pediatricians who are not familiar with it, parents, schools, it's no one's fault but it's everyone's responsibility to know what these symptoms are. So the same way that we have posters on choking in restaurants and click it or tick it, you know, seatbelt laws and all these other things, we need to increase the awareness of symptoms of diabetes so that no one is ever misdiagnosed. There's never a reason to be misdiagnosed when it comes to symptom awareness. And Max, as you were very eloquently saying earlier, we have technology we have urine dipsticks. We have finger sticks. So on a differential diagnosis, when a child, for example, goes to a pediatrician's office with a sore throat, many times they're given a throat culture. If a child is coming in with all these symptoms of diabetes, why aren't they given a finger stick to test their blood sugar? So I can go on and on about this. Um, one more thing I want to point out that's just a wonderful thing, the National Association of School Nurses has now put together a letter that can be distributed in schools just upon request. And anyone who reaches out to me, I'd be glad to send a link to the letter that is given out during flu season or if a child does go to the school nurse office or they're not feeling well during school season, they can be sent home with this letter, not to freak the parents out that it's definitely type 1 diabetes, but to alert them that there is a possibility that it can be and they should be checked. We can save lives if we just bring diabetes symptom awareness out to the community. Mm. Great advice. All right. Cornelia, I've got Susan on the line, and I've got Patricia, my Charter's Angels of Outreach. So you know what time it is. Yes. <laughs> it's game time, everybody. I love to raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way. And tonight, Cornelia, you're going to have a chance to play a few games with us. Um, to see if you could be a winner. Plus, we might have an instant winner with your help tonight at, in the Diva Better community. Before we do that, though, while in Dallas, Texas, touring with the Jazz Philharmonic Tour, Ella Fitzgerald faced discrimination. Police barged the stage and arrested the whole band. We're celebrating not only Ella Fitzgerald tonight, but acceptance on every level. Let's hear another great song from Ella Fitzgerald called These Foolish Scenes. Things courtesy of Sony Music. You came, you saw, you conquered me. Tonight, we're going to be talking a little bit about foot problems that could lead to serious complications for people living with diabetes. That's why receiving proper foot care from um, 
podiatrist is very important to any diabetes management plan. Whether you've had diabetes for years or have been recently diagnosed, make sure you take proper care of your feet by inspecting them daily. Patricia will give us advice after this question. Here's your question tonight. People with diabetes may experience elevated temperatures on their feet called hot spots, which can lead to the formation of ulcers. Is that true or false? That is true. Patricia, for the win and the prize package, can you let us know if Cornelia got the answer right or wrong? Cornelia is right with that answer. Uh, Research research has shown that people with diabetes may experience a rise in the temperature in certain areas of the feet, which can lead to the formation of ulcers uh, without uh, any medical treatment. And as a preventive measure, a foot thermometer can indicate when foot temperatures are ripe for possible ulcer formation. Okay, well, this so is very interesting. So <laughs> Cornelia wasn't on earlier. So why is it important for someone like Cornelia who might be having the first symptoms of neuropathy to check her feet daily? She should check her feet daily because sensation changes with neuropathy. You may not sense that something is hot or even that something is cold. You may not sense that you have a rock or pebble or just a little tiny uh, grit in the shoe. So when you put your shoes on, you should always check with the fingertips to uh, feel around in the shoe to see if any debris is there or you should shake it out before putting the foot in. But inspection of the feet on a daily basis will show you any indentations, any uh, marks, abrasions, or small cuts or bruises, red areas. You're looking to see if perhaps the shoe was fitting too tightly or if there has been any type of an injury that you may not have felt. So it's very important for you to take a mirror and to look at the feet daily. You can use one of those um, mirrors on the long, like a goose neck, where you can twist it and turn it in whatever direction you need to, in order to visualize the bottom of the foot as well as between the toes. Or you can have a family member, a loved one, to inspect for you. But by all means, a daily foot inspection is indicated. That's some and it's so informative easy because you just buy a cheap mirror and put it under the sink and just pull it out and keep it on the floor. Absolutely. Does that sound doable, Cornel? Because I know you like your apple cider vinegar. Do you do you think you could do the the mirror for me? Absolutely. That was some informative information, and I will start doing that. Very good. Right, I'm well, happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear it too. Now you don't go on Facebook, do you? Um. I, I am and not. All right. I'm well, not that's a good because, And you weren't listening to the top of the show when I was talking to Susan Weiner, and we were discussing crackers in the food aisle, and Susan Weiner began to tell us a little bit about the nutritional food labels and how they've changed. So your next question, we're going we're gonna to go from feet to food now. Your next question is part of our instant winner challenge. We've had several members from our DivaBetta community uh, we look at this look at this question, and if they got it correct, if they answered it correctly, they went into our pool, our random drawing. You need to pull a number from one to fifty. Pick a number from one to fifty. Choose any number. Um, eighteen. Eighteen. <laughs> yes. Hold on. 
That's Sharon from Philadelphia. Sharon could be our instant winner, but only, Cornelia, if you get this answer right. So Susan Weiner is a registered dietitian, certified diabetes educator. She's also the Diabetes Educator Educator of the Year, awarded by AADE in 2015. Plus, she's the author of two sensational books, No Pressure, but um, Susan and I were talking about the nutritional facts label earlier on the show. So if you were listening, listeners, you probably know the answer. But Cornelia, here's your question. The new nutritional facts label makes it easier for people to make better informed food choices because they have increased the type size of which of the following? Is it A, the total number of fat grams per serving? Is it B, the total number of calories per serving, or is it C, the total number of carbohydrates per serving? Before you answer, I want to take another minute to listen to what Ella Fitzgerald does amazingly well, which is scat. Let's listen to Lemon Lemon Drop, courtesy of Sony Music, and then we'll be right back with Cornelia's answer for our instant winner challenge. Amazing. Welcome back to Divey's Late Night. That was our diva inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald. And now it's time to hear our special diva of the night, Cornelia, take our instant winner challenge. If she gets this answer right, Sharon from Philadelphia, you'll be an instant winner tonight. The question again, the new nutritional facts label makes it easier for people to make better informed food choices because it increases its type size of which of the following? A, the total number of fat grams per serving. B, the total number of calories per serving. C, the total number of carbohydrates per serving. Your time is up, Cornelia. Please reveal your answer. Sharon, I'm going to say C, carbs. The car, the total number of carb, carbohydrates per serving. Sharon, if you're listening, Susan, will you reveal if that's the correct answer or not? Um, it's not. Can she have? It's a fat. No, and if you had to have a third guess, fats. No, it would be it would be calories. So the food label, the food label is going to look almost the same, just a few minor differences for the new food label. But one of the big changes that's going to be on it are calories per container and calories per serving size. Because think about it, we want to know how many calories, how many carbs, how much fat is per serving and per a certain amount of calories per serving. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it that way, right? It makes sense. Listen, it's National Diabetes Awareness Month. Do you think I'm going to let Sharon go home with no prizes? Absolutely (laughs) not. You're both getting prizes tonight, Cornelia, for helping us raise awareness for diabetes in a fun new way. You're going to get a new Naturals gift basket filled with diabetic, safe, low-glycemic, tooth-friendly sweeteners, a Cabot cheese gift basket filled with an assortment of delicious, low-fat cheeses, and Dr. Greenfield's Diabetic Foot, Hand, and Body Lotions, which are specifically designed for people like you with diabetes with sensitive and delicate skin. 
Thank you, Cornelia. Great. Now, um, before we go on, I have to ask, Susan, they did used to focus this nutritional label on fat, and they changed it, correct, to calories? Yes, um, and part of the reason is if you look at the new dietary guidelines that, it, that came out about, about a year ago and we look at all the research, we're learning that certain fats are very healthy for the heart. They just have to be portioned. When I look back at being a practicing dietitian, oh, 25 years ago, we said no nuts, no nut butters, no olive oil, and we're realizing that that wasn't the correct way to, to look at things at all. So the fat labels are going to really focus on portion sizes, calories per portion, and what to base that what you're eating is based on a serving size and the calories per serving. And there's also going to be an additional line on the new labels on added sugars. So stay tuned for what that's going to look like as well. And what do you think is the biggest confusion uh, for people when looking at those labels? I know you, you emphasize the serving size. Do you think that's the biggest issue, that most people are not aware of the serving size and, and not knowing if that's the size that most people eat or if that's the recommended size that they should be eating? It's, it's a fabulous question, and I'm, I'm going to take a step back and, and think of it this way. If you were to buy cereal, for example, and I won't say specific brands, but if you are comparing two fairly healthy cereals, let's say they're very low sugar cereal and they're high in whole grains and they have fiber. Right now, the way that cereals are listed with servings, some are listed as one cup, some as three quarters cup, some as half a cup. So you're really comparing apples and oranges. They're so different. Once serving sizes are more consistent and calories are more consistent, you can compare one thing to the next thing to the next thing. The other thing that will still have to be looked at very carefully are the ingredients listed on the label. Ingredients will continue to be listed um, in order of the amount in them. So if sugar is the first ingredient or the second ingredient on the label, that still has a good amount of sugar that's included. Also, we want to look for foods that have zero trans fats, which we know can be a problem, um, and we want to eat foods that, you know, again, do have lower sodium content, more natural, less processed foods. And, of course, food food labels, such as fruits and vegetables, are always good to eat. Great advice. Thank you for being um, on the show. Both Susan and Patricia are our friendly diabetes educators. Um, we are going to take a break and come right back uh, talking to Leola from the Diva Beta community and the Diabetes What to Know community about friends and loved ones she's had who've experienced lower limb amputation. But first, we're featuring songs from the Ella Fitzgerald live album, which was recorded in 1973 at Carnegie Hall as part of the Newport Jazz Festival that year. Let's take another listen to Miss Otis Regrets, courtesy of Sony Music. Miss Otis regrets she's unable to lunch today She is sorry to be delayed But last evening down in Lover's Lane she strayed Madam, Miss Otis 
regret she's unable to lunch today. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek, and tonight for National Diabetes Awareness Month, I'm spotlighting people who've experienced a diabetes complication and letting them know that they're part of our community and we're here to help. To do that, I wanted to talk to someone who knew someone who's experienced a complication to talk a little bit about the regret, maybe some of the guilt or shame and blame that could be associated with it, and also to urge our listeners to learn how to prevent a diabetes health-related complication, especially lower limb, like Patricia Addy-Gentle told us earlier. We're providing all those tips on our website at divabeg.org and our blog later this month. But let's now meet Leola. Hello, Leola. Hello. You are on our show again. I'm so excited to have you during National Diabetes Awareness Month. I reached out to you because I really wanted to hear more about your friends who've experienced amputations and tell everyone a little bit about how their lives changed uh, once they had the amputation and trying to get back into the swing of things with uh, dealing with everyday details and tasks. Um, Fortunately for me, um my friends that had amputations, my close friends, all three have passed. And I don't know how to explain it. It's just that one of those things where I just have to urge people or encourage them to, if you see a spider, like you mentioned, have your feet checked often because for my one guy friend that this happened to, he said it all happened very quickly. He saw a spider miss his foot and it became an infection, and in a matter of months, he was gone. Um, My close girlfriend, who was like a sister to me, it was very emotional. And to be quite honest, toward the end, we actually didn't talk anymore. It got to the point where she didn't want people around. And when I decided that, okay, I can only call you so many times without you responding, I stopped talking. I went on shutdown. And that led to her feeling like no one wanted to be bothered with her just because she was an amputee. Um, it, and how old it's was rough. she? 48 years old. And when did she experience the amputation? It all happened December. It started December 2014, and she passed this year. Wow. Um Quickly. I mean, not very quickly, but what I would consider quick. When I was first diagnosed, she was the very first person I wanted my family to reach out to because she had been living with diabetes for a while, and I knew that would be that person that would be there to support me, and she was. Um, In the beginning, we talked about it, and she jokingly said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to do everything right because I know that I don't do things the way I should. And that's the way she tried to keep me going is make sure that I took care of myself where she may not have necessarily taken care of herself the way she should have. It's it's emotional for everyone, not just the person that's going through the amputation in that sense. It. Well, I, I agree. I mean, when you see it firsthand, like I when I watched Luther Vandross have the stroke and then mm-hmm. saw how quickly and uh, significantly his life changed, 
it sent a wake-up call to me. But, you know, you, not everyone has that opportunity to see it, and you wouldn't, obviously, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, and I'm sure you wouldn't either, but it's true. There's so much... No. Um, it's so sad and it's so debilitating and the and the thing about it is what you're talking about your friend dealing with those emotions and the regret and the and cutting people off because they they just feel i i can't i i don't want to put words in her mouth but i'm sure she must have felt like she had failed on some level right right and it was one of those things where she went from being the life of the party to please don't call me it's meaning I can't imagine it. I I can't imagine what she was going through in that sense because you also have to look at things like you can't get around anymore. You've been driving for over 30 years. And to have to ask someone to do everything for you at that point, it's, it's life-altering in it. And, Susan and Patricia, you've, you've obviously had patients who've been in this kind of situation or mindset like Leola's friend was in. Uh, what are your comments, starting with Patricia? Well, um, I am aware of several different types of, you know, we, we always talk about diabetes support groups, but in the Atlanta area and I'm sure in other areas as well, there are specific support groups. Say we have support groups for pumpers, those who are using insulin pumps. We have support groups for uh, low vision, are people who are visually impaired, and then I mean, you know, uh, for diabetes and and visual impairments, and then there are support groups for amputees, and I believe the amputee group that I am most familiar with is not specifically a diabetes amputation, but for amputees. Period. So sometimes um, having that entourage of your friends and caregivers around. Um, Sometimes if they don't fully understand, and which nobody can fully understand unless they live the same life and work and walk in similar circumstances, and being around other people who have gone through what you're going through can sometimes be a better way to do that. And so I would encourage anyone who's having uh, difficulty in any of those life-altering and limitations uh, that are brought on by certain conditions to seek out support groups in their area. And, Susan, we're always so focused on the physical loss of what someone who has an amputation goes through. We forget to focus sometimes on the mental loss that they're going through and the the mental uh, difficulty they may have dealing with something like this, right? Absolutely. Emotional distress and diabetes-related distress and anxiety is truly real. And the support around it, sometimes we really believe and we should believe that our loved ones, our significant others, our friends will always be there to support us and will always understand us if we choose to share with them. But it's not always the case. So Patricia's advice of looking at a support group is, is wonderful and contacting your health care provider or CBE, even asking a coworker or a friend who may have gone through the same thing. You may want to reach out past your circles. Sometimes, though, as, as we were just describing and talking about, when people don't want to be, you don't really want to talk about it, it makes it excruciatingly 
um, difficult. And it's so hard for us to, as friends and family to watch and give too much space because as time goes on, the condition can deteriorate. So my best advice to support when you're going through that type of diabetes distress is to reach out in circles that you didn't think about before, perhaps someone who has already gone through it, and that might be what the person needs at that time. Even though you want to support yourself, that might not be what the person going through needs at that time. And what are your thoughts, Leola? Just a little bit more on the gentleman, your friend who 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 quickly deteriorated after the amputation. It sounds like it was so sudden. It probably was shocking to all of you who were so close to him to watch that happen that fast. The I think the good thing about him, he was a classmate, and he actually used that as an opportunity to educate others. Um, a rough time for him, but. He kept us posted on his condition through Facebook, and he encouraged other people to get checked. He explained, he showed pictures of what his, um, I'm sorry, his infection looked like, just so that we could be aware and hopefully the same thing wouldn't happen to other people. So I do understand that different people, it affects them in different ways. And for the most part, he was, he seemed to be okay in terms of depression and those things, but his focus was really on letting us know that this can happen to you too, so be careful. If you see this, go ahead and go to the doctor. Don't waste time and think that you can self-diagnose and heal yourself in that sense. Right. I love it. I love those words of inspiration. Well, thank you so much for being on the show tonight and just telling us a little bit more of amputation and bringing it to life through the memory of your friends and, and also sharing such a strong statement about raising awareness for it and the need for prevention and that it's so essential to keeping that quality of your life is to take care of the health you have right now. Right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you before we get to my last guest that if you want to come see me live, you have your opportunity this Saturday, November 12th at the Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. I'll be presenting Divabetic Victory Over Diabetes from 11 to 3 p.m. We have an amazing Glamour Fearless fashion show spearheaded by our very own Catherine Schuler. We're going to have a live cooking demonstration courtesy of uh, the American Diabetes Association. And our keynote speaker this year is Carol B. Paulus, who was the first female professional judge in boxing to show us how to keep our fighting spirit. Well, I think Ella Fitzgerald had a lot of fighting spirit, and I'm so um, honored to pay tribute to her tonight on our November podcast. Let's listen to one more cut by Ella, courtesy of Sony Music. Some of these days You're gonna miss me, honey Some of these days You're gonna feel so lonely You miss my hugging Gonna miss my kissing Gonna miss me, honey When I 
You're listening to Diabetes Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Bedek. Our Diva inspiration, Ella Fitzgerald, was once said that some kids in Italy called her Mama Jazz, which she thought was cute as long as they never called her Grandma Jazz. Well, here's someone who <laughs> might be called Great Grandma sooner than later. Please welcome to the show, Mama Rosemarie. Hello, Mama Rosemarie. Hi. How nice of you to have me on. And I'm just so proud to be called a great grandmother. That'll be happening in March. You are going to be a great grandma. That is amazing. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yes. I'm, um, so we'll so, we'll be we'll have a special tribute when that happens. I guess you'll be Grandmama Rosemary at that point. Um, <laughs> great grandma. That will be wonderful. <laughs> That would be you know, my job. life changed so much um, from touring with Luther Vandross after he had the stroke and becoming his full-time caregiver, you know, all night long, thanks to Leola and our guests, Cornelia, Patricia, um, Ansley, Anna, and Susan Weiner. We've been talking a lot about just the changes that people go through in their life when they suffer a complication. I know you're part of the older community. You go to the senior center. I'm sure you've had friends who... Uh, you've been around who've seen some complications and and some of them fighting to stay into the, stay in the swing of things by playing cards and getting back out to those centers, right? Definitely, we do have uh, several. With um, one has, um, well, she's really legally blind, but she comes and she plays cards. Uh, we help her out, but really we get the cards with the bigger numbers, and she does beautifully. She's a very good card player. We have another one who is also suffering with um, diabetes, uh, and she comes to play to get her mind off of things because she is one who probably has a little bit of a depression with the fact that she's uh, living with diabetes. So it's good for her to be around friends, and we have a lot of fun laughing and so forth. And I think it gets her mind off of it. So, yes, you're you're very right. We do have... Uh, I am in a circle of friends that have um, disabilities right now. And um, and by getting together and being social, I think we're trying to help them out and uh, overcoming their um, difficulties. Absolutely. It's just that support, that continual social mm-hmm. support mm-hmm. that makes such a big difference, which is why, you know, anything from playing cards to um, knitting to even if they're able to do some kind of fitness class, yoga, there's a lot of like chair exercise groups around that mm-hmm. can really change someone's day and help them just make their life so much better, even for that moment. If they leave with a smile on their face, I think it could make a huge difference. And again, I, I just want everyone to know if they are, have experienced a complication, we definitely are there to embrace them. I remember when we were in Detroit, we had the uh, divas in wheelchairs came and took part in our runway show, and it was just so fabulous when we put the red carpet down on the ground and everyone was able to participate regardless of their abilities or their level of abilities, I should say. It wasn't regardless of that. Mm-hmm. It was to embrace everyone's abilities. So what is your tip this month? Well, it's timely what we had tonight. Uh, my tip this month is about making your home safe after a stroke. Your risk of falling is increased after suffering a stroke. Falls can result in severe bruising and bleeding and sometimes even fractures. So to help avoid a fall, make sure that your home is in your, the, 
your home is safe. The walkways and the hallways are clear of clutter. Your floors are not slippery. And if you have scattered rugs or any rugs, make sure that they're secure. You are uh, you really have to pre- to um, watch all these things that can make your house safer. Maybe we might even prefer to have a grab bar installed in your shower or bathtub. That would be easier for you to get in and out safely and more uh, secure. If you are in a wheelchair, for instance, have someone clear away the furniture out of your way so that you could get around more easily. So those are my tips for those people who are suffering a stroke. So with so that, look at this an opportunity say, to redecorate, right? That's diabetics. Way. Damn, I, <laughs> I would love that, but I don't want to be in that predicament. But I would love to redecorate, as many people like to do that. So uh, I have a little game for you, Mr. Diabetic. Could you would you like to play a game with me? Okay. Uh-oh. All right. Uh, this week is uh, or this month is Diabetes Awareness Month, and we have a color. What the to um, be featured for the diabetes, and the color could be A, red, B, white, or B, or C, blue. What color do you think it is? I'm going to say blue. (laughs) Yay! I'm going to applaud you. (laughs) You got it right. Blue is the uh, the color that we feature during Diabetes Awareness Month. So it would be nice if someone put on a pretty blue scarf every once in a while, or a blue sweater or something blue to emphasize, make people more aware that it is um, Diabetes Awareness Month. Great job and great game. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for being on the show today, Mom. And I want to thank all my guests, and thank you especially for listening. Please subscribe to our Divabetic e-newsletter at divabetic.org. Visit Divabetic's Facebook page and check out our videos online at Mr. Divabetic's YouTube channel. Plus, check out Diabetes What to Know and Susan Weiner's amazing website and hear all about, learn all about the symptoms of type 1 diabetes and how you could save a life. And if you want to be part of our show, feel free to email me at mrdivabetic at gmail.com or play our instant winner games on our Facebook page every Thursday. Remember, every diva and every dude has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. Join us November 12th in Philadelphia for our Divabetic Victory Over Diabetes free outreach event. Register today at Thomas Jefferson University at 1-800-TOM-JEFF. You can tell I'm excited because I never really say that at the end of the podcast. But we're going to close this podcast and keep celebrating all night long with another jazz standard performed by the one and only Ella Fitzgerald. It, this is if nice work if you could get it. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Neat the starry sky. Nice work if you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Strolling with the one boy, side after side. Nice work if you can get it, and you can get it if you try. Just imagine someone waiting at the cottage door. Oh, imagine someone who could ask for it.
Won't you tell me, won't you tell me, won't you tell me, won't you tell me? 